You're listening to episode one of season two of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, the stories we tell about ourselves. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. Leadership in organization happens at all levels and takes many forms. And today we decided to focus on stories and how stories shape, reflect, and maybe reshape an organizational culture. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of David Cooperwriter's definition mm-hmm. of what is culture. So David Cooperwriter uh, quoted Clifford Geertz saying right. that culture is the stories we tell our uh, we tell ourselves about ourselves. Yeah. And I, the more I thought about that quote, the more sense it really made to me yeah. that um, because because so often people think about culture as um, a given, it just is what it is. They don't think about how culture gets developed. Well, and that it's being constructed and deconstructed and, and reconstructed, reconstructed all, all, the, all time. the time. Exactly. Yeah. It is not static, ever. Yeah. Right. So if we, if we think about culture in that way... If we, re- as leaders... Right. Yeah, can it, really use that. It yeah. really highlights the importance yeah. of the the stories, the narrative, the self-talk mm-hmm. that we do at an organizational level. I mean, I think when I really think about that, that's really true at an individual level, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, mm-hmm. I, if I think of myself as an idiot and a klutz and uh, blah, 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 I, I, I kind of, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, and you're going to have a, a, a different kind of personality, than if you're telling yourself that you're capable and that you occasionally have a bad day, but most times people like you and right. so on. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. So, so um, I think if people kind of look at it that way, it's not very hard then to, to see how that would scale at every level of an organization. Right. So the idea that leaders can shape culture by mm-hmm. telling stories right. by paying attention to certain stories and uh, fanning them, mm-hmm. making them more uh, visible within the organization and and um, by introducing new stories. All of that I think begins to make right. more more sense. And I think that fits for leaders at every level. Absolutely. I mean whether you're at, whether you're leading at the team level, or leading at the in the executive suite level or any layer in between, right. um, you still have contact with with cer- with a certain body of stories, yeah. a certain narrative body. Yeah. So so maybe um, can you tell me about a time when you saw um, leaders, let's say, at a at a team level. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the I think, to a very great extent, that it the, the stories that are told at the team level can affect, um, particularly how the team thinks of itself in terms of its product, and its relationship with its customers. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, one organization that I was working with was making um, some very sophisticated uh, medical devices and, and some parts for that, and or in the software that went into it was embedded in, in that. And, um, you know, for a long time they were just thinking, oh, well, we're just contributing to making this thing, right? And... Um, this certain kind of sensor kind of thing. And and then somewhere along the line, they realized that there was another, uh, another way of looking at this and another story to be told. And, and I, don't, I don't remember who it was, but it was someone who had a leadership role, or was seen as a leader in the team, um, began to tell the story of what happened to the to the practitioners who used this sensor, the lab folks and so on, and what happened for the patients mm-hmm. when when the software you know was reliable and had no bugs and was you know was giving out um, giving out good information that helped in the diagnosis and treatment mm-hmm. of these folks. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, a story came in about a particular customer. Mm or a particular a patient, patient um, that was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And how the fact that this device and the software embedded in this device was able to uh, give certain kinds of lab results enabled um, her her doctors to treat her in such a way that, that she could be cured of something that if it had gone longer or if the diagnosis hadn't been mm-hmm. accurate or whatever, she would have been in real trouble and, and possibly died. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it was real um, kind of heart-tugging things. And there were some other kind of stories like that that came in. And and so the fact that these folk, these people on this team could tell themselves a different story, not just we work on this software and it's important that there be no bugs, but we work on this software and it's important that there be no bugs because these kinds of people benefit from what we do and you know we have you know we have something that's come back to us and so we really you know we feel a connection to them and it and it shifted things yes. on that team bringing those kinds of stories into the team about their customers and about, you know, their customers, the patients. Right. So, so what, what you're saying in that example, and, at, yeah. you know, I can think of several others like that, that that make, make work part of a larger narrative. Yes. That gives meaning gives to the meaning. work. And storytelling, I think, often the piece of culture, you know, that we... Another way of talking about culture is that it reflects the values and beliefs of a of some aggregate of people, mm-hmm. right? And um, and certainly those kinds of stories that make meaning because they reflect the values and beliefs, right? What's important to us? Why do we do the work that we do? What? Why is it worthy work? Yeah. Right? Um, getting that pulled back in gives a different sense for, for people for doing whatever work they're doing. And... And certainly what they're engaged in as part of a collective. You know, I, I've been noticing that in the work that I do with the um, 
the IT function of a, of a large school district that what they have been referring to a lot is how their work enables teaching and learning. Yes. And that's a complete reframe now. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's, and it's interesting that I hear the director um, of IT referring to teaching and learning, enabling teaching and learning constantly. And, and I, the other day, asked some questions about, well, you know, okay, that's wonderful. And what about all the other work that the IT department does that has to do with operations. And he said, well, okay, right? That's a slightly different, um, a little bit, you know, it's one more step removed from direct teaching and learning. But if kids are sitting in a classroom that's too cold, they can't learn, can they? Yeah, it's all a part of the same system. So it's all, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and so by... By finding that umbrella of enabling teaching and learning, um, he's found a way now to to encompass the work that everybody in that department does. Mm, nice. In a very nice way, yeah. and it gives a layer of meaning, right. an additional layer of meaning to the work. And since we know that knowledge workers mm -hmm. are motivated, you know, strongly by um, meaning in their work. Right. And that that's really more important than another little raise yeah. or, in a, you know, yeah. this and that. Well, and those are, and actually just bringing yeah. up another little raise, another set of stories that often gets told in organizations is how, how we um, respond I'm not going to use the word reward or recognition or any of that, but how we respond to people who do certain kinds of work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what is that? You know, in, a, in some sales organizations, the stories are about, um, the, you know, their percentage, right? The, the, their sales percentage and who's getting, who's getting the most, who's sold the most. Um, in, in other kinds of organizations, it's, it's framed differently. But but that also, you know, what what gets tagged as important in terms of doing the work because it gets a certain kind of response from the rest of the organization, mm -hmm. um, gets recognized in a certain way, gets acknowledged in a certain mm -hmm. way, gets gets fanned. You yeah. know, stories yeah. get told about a person who did XYZ. Right. And that really um, you know, sets a, a tone in in software and in IT around two of the contrasting narratives that I see a lot are ones that are around the hero culture, the folks who come in and save the day, the folks who are constantly in crisis management and constantly need some some rescue and some or people to do the heroic stay all weekend, work 90 hour week kind of stuff. Versus versus the stories mm -hmm. about we are reliable, people can count on us, mm -hmm. people, you know, we we go home and we spend weekends with our families and we still produce good work as, right. a, as part of a team. Right. Because the hero culture tends to focus more on individuals. 
and right. shifting that narrative to one that focuses more on the value of the team and what the mm-hmm. team can provide and and on a good quality of work life as opposed to the you know running to the rescue right. kind of thing that you know those are two very different sets of stories that can be told in an organization and can be part of that cult finding the right stories can be part of helping that culture shift happen yeah so so I'm thinking about in the example you just gave that that you know the hero is um, as Americans mm-hmm. our culture has always uh, reflected and and sort of romanticized that Lone Ranger hero um, who could not have done what he did without Tonto. <laughs> I will point out. Right, right. <laughs> yes, right. but we tend to romanticize the Lone Ranger, not the Tonto. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and even Lewis and Clark couldn't right. have done what they did oh, without without the whole crew the boy the what the crew core of discovery. Right. And yeah. particularly with Sakajuia. Yeah. You know, and she doesn't get much credit. Yeah, no. Then that's another story. Yeah. So so You've done a lot of work internationally. Mm-hmm. Do you see the same um, uh, a contrasting narrative as strongly in some of the other cultures where you've worked? Um, well, I'm not always as familiar with mm-hmm. the, the the culture tales of yeah. a, of a place. You know, um, you know, I could make some assumptions that little German children grow up hearing the same Grimm's fairy tales that we grew up hearing, or the Danish children grow up hear- hearing Hans Christian Andersen stories just like we do. But I don't know that for sure. Uh-huh. And I'm not, you know, and there are a lot of places where I'm not necessarily familiar with those kind of things that are embedded in the national culture. Mm-hmm. Um what I have noticed is that in some places, and not just in Eastern countries, but some in some Western countries, where there are more, um, there seems to be more of an emphasis on on groups and group work and people working together to accomplish something. Um, in those countries, it seems like the shift from individual contributor to team-based work is an easier is an easier um, shift to make mm-hmm. uh, just in in software or or it may even be that that they never even went for the individual contributor form of how to build software that they've always just always worked as teams mm. and so that doesn't feel like a very new idea to them uh-huh. right so um, that that's one way that I have seen the difference. Um, another way I have seen a difference is in, um, how people regard bugs, uh, and dealing with bugs and re other kinds of free work. Um, you know, whether that's a big deal or not a big deal has to do with how strongly your culture is linked to precision and perfection and how, you know, might be more how more laissez-faire you know so if it's more strongly linked to perfection 
is is the fact that that an error is discovered or a bug is discovered sinful? Well, or... I don't know. I you know I'm I want to be really careful about how much I generalize mm. this, but um, there there is one organization that I worked in uh, with in a in a country that where precision is more valued and mm -hmm. and really striving for perfection is more valued. And what I noticed there was um, uh, it was very difficult for them to when a bug report came in or a, a you know a need for a fix came in to not just want to drop everything and work on that immediately to really be able to take a deep breath and say now we need to we need to identify. How high a priority is this? Mm -hmm. Where should it be in our backlog? Mm -hmm. um, you know, as opposed to just no, no matter what, every time you hear something's broken, drop everything and fix it. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Just because we just can't stand it that it's we know it's broken and yeah. nothing's yeah. been done about it. Yeah. Um, so there, and that, you know, I'm not going to generalize that across, mm -hmm. you know, all companies in that in that area, but... But I do know that it happened in that yeah. company, so there are those those kinds of things as well, and and certainly the stories that are told around that, you know, reflect that same that same bias or that same values and beliefs, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, as we've been talking, one of the things that um, that came to me was uh, how important it is for leaders to be adept at reframing. Mm -hmm. That reframing is yes. one of those skills that is part of being mm -hmm. able to, to be a good storyteller. Absolutely. Um, and what does it take to be good at reframing? I, I wonder how people listening um, might think about that. Uh, I mean, I, I think that sometimes people see it as just nothing more than spin, but it, it reframing is more than is spin. more than spin. Yeah. And how can we describe reframing um, in a way that will help people see that it it actually is not a manipulative? Well, I mean. When it's used well, properly, it's, yeah, it's, not manipulative. It's looking for. Um, I think it requires a certain uh, facility with kind of working with the abstract in in your head, but it also has to do with being open enough. You know, when we're talking about feedback and and interpersonal relationships, we talk about. You know, it's better if you can give a generous interpretation of someone else's behavior. Well, this is sort of like reframing is kind of like giving a generous interpretation of a situation. Right. And what are some other explanations we can offer that are equally plausible and, you know, have an equal chance of being true about this situation, some of which are going to help us stay nimble, stay agile, be more resilient. And some are going to cause us to be more rigid and fragile and and more likely to break, mm -hmm. right? And, and being able to imagine more than one way to think about a thing, um, I think, that, I mean, I enjoy that 
for myself. And so I, of course, think that's an important thing for leaders. But but I do think that that's, that's a key to really being able to do uh, effective reframing is really being able to think about things from more than one point of view, being able to walk in another person's shoes, being able to see uh, see a situation from many different perspectives, which, you know, at some level is why we do, um, in retrospectives, why we might do a timeline or why we might want to say we want everybody who was involved in a release to be present at a release retrospective so that we can hear all those different perspectives. And over time, as a team does that or an organization does that, we become more familiar with those other perspectives and it, and we, we become better able to move in and out of our own retrospective and stand and say, how would this situation look from some of these other points of view? Because after you've heard them a few times, mm -hmm. it's, it's mm -hmm. a little more easy to sort of put that, put that coat on and, or put right. that hat on right. and look at things from there. Yeah. So, so does the ability to successfully reframe to, to look at things from multiple points of view, it is, is one of the ways that, do you think that one of the ways people can learn to do that better, um, seems to me that, it, that one ingredient of doing that well is to, to suspend judgment. Yes. Yeah, you, you don't know, want to lock yourself in too early. Right. For sure. Yeah. Right. And many of us are trained to kind of go right away. Well, and leaders especially are expected to be decisive, right. immediately decisive. Right. right. So, so yeah. often that means making a real quick and dirty assessment. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but kind of, you know, yes. going going right to the heart of the matter and saying, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I see the path or I, you know, I, I, I get the story. We talked in an earlier podcast about how when there is a crisis, sometimes you need someone who can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. But to be able to reframe, I think, means often slowing down that yeah. reflex yes that desire to go right for the the um okay here's my take on it and you know i i i get what we ought to do um or how i think about it so at least for myself i know that i do the best reframing when i slow down mm -hmm. And I say to myself, hmm, how else can I think about this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wish I could do that, you know, 99% of the or time. The I'm not yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but that is a skill set that I am working towards all the time because I see the value of it. And when I, when I can make myself slow down and offer a reframe to someone else, they can take it or leave it. I mean, it, but yeah. but at least it gives them another another option, another set of lenses yeah. to look at something through. Well, and to loop back to our original uh, to the topic we started with, 
Um, that slowing down like that, thinking in terms of the reframe, allows you to tell a different story. Right, right, right. And to really use that as part of your sort of storytelling toolkit, mm -hmm. kind of, as, you know. Uh, well, so there are many different kinds of stories about many different topic areas in an organizational culture. There are also some skills, um, you know, just the, um, the engagement of being able to tell a good story and to being able to reframe so that we see things from another another way of seeing it. Um, it's on my mind because I'm, I'm getting ready to sell a house and I've been talking to someone who's going to help me come in and arrange things in a way that will be most pleasing for buyers. And, you know, that idea of shifting how I think about my house hmm. to the story I tell myself about what makes me comfortable there to a story that says if if I were walking into this house thinking about buying it what would make me feel comfortable in that situation is a really different <laughs> way mm -hmm. of, of looking at sure it. Sure it is. And and then, you know, there's a further story to be told there, which says, you know, um, I, and, and a question to ask, but it, there's a story that goes along with that. How, how will I live in a place where I am in transition, undergoing some temporary discomfort because mm -hmm. things have been shifted around in a way that isn't how I liked having it. Right. So that I can achieve a larger goal, right. which is sell the house and move. Right. And and I really think there is an analogy there for organizations who are looking for change. You know, where how do you find the re, the reframe or the shift in perspective that you need to say, you know, we're in pursuit of a larger goal here, so we're going to now look at our situation like this. Mm -hmm. When we used to look at it like mm -hmm. that, and the stories we told supported that, now the stories we tell are going to support this. So here's a question that I have been noodling about. Yeah. You know, sometimes people tell a story, and they, they're done, and you hear people in the audience go, Oh. And I don't get it. Yeah. Oh, you're not you're not having that same reaction. Maybe I'm not. Yeah. And maybe it's because I don't share some of the cultural, mm -hmm. you know, um, values or whatever. I'm not sure why. Maybe because um, as a female, I'm the story's perhaps being told by a man with a certain point of view, and I don't relate to it, or I, I don't yeah. know. But I often have had the experience of somebody telling stories as if I am supposed to walk away from that with some mm -hmm. lesson, and I don't get the lesson. <laughs> and I think, okay, maybe I'm just dense, yeah. you know, no. whatever. Yeah. Well, I think that's important, though, as... as as a leader or as a storyteller to know that not everybody is going to be taking away necessarily 
what you think is the point of the story. Right. They're either they, they may do that. They may have constructed completely different meaning out of the story that you tell, or they may be just left kind of blah, meh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so you know, if somebody is uh, at a campfire telling stories, and some of the kids get it and some of the kids don't, or take different meanings from the story or whatever, those stakes aren't too high. Right. But if, as a leader, yes. we're using storytelling as a way to really transmit messages and meaning, and people don't get it, that's a different... Yes. That, that, so... What then would our advice be or suggestions be to the leader to make sure that their message is being heard? Well, I'm just thinking out loud yes, here. Yes, right. Well, but certainly it's not enough to just tell the story that a person has to, uh, a leader has to reinforce that story with behaviors and actions, has to be checking in with people in either small groups or one-on-ones. I mean, I think where this gets into trouble is the the storytelling to an auditorium, you know, which is very much like the change announcement, which may come with some stories. But as we know, as people who work in organizational change, it's never, I mean, I was going to say rarely, but I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. It's never, never sufficient to accomplish the change. And it's often thought to be that if we just tell people how it's going to be and we make this big announcement and we tell the story about you know Mamie Johnson in South Dakota who had this happen to her um and now she's got her job back or whatever that that is going to be a convincing enough argument or a convincing enough story for people that they will go out and change their own behavior that just never happens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right Right. So, so there has to be. It's culture doesn't change in an event, in a single. It's it it culture does shift, but it shifts over time. It transitions, and it's constantly being deconstructed and reconstructed. And so, the follow-on is really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not enough to just tell one story. The the, the um, story I was telling at the beginning about the team that got in connection with the fact that their real end end users were serving patients Mm -hmm. and that there was a real impact on the patients. If they had only heard one of those stories, I don't think it would have made any difference. But hearing multiple of those stories and having the opportunity to talk about that amongst themselves and to be able to use that information in making decisions, which is an important kind of organizational behavior, the decision-making behaviors, mm-hmm. you know, that reinforced and reinforced and reinforced. And so people who might not have gotten it, the first story they heard, mm-hmm. or didn't get, didn't know why that was significant or whatever, had a chance to connect with it later on through maybe another media or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, that to know that it's not a story that's going to do it, but it's the ongoing sort of storytelling, and the and the shift in behaviors around that that make the difference. 
It's like we say, you know, it's not the charter, it's the chartering, right? right. It's, it's not the, the story, yeah. it's the, it's the right. storytelling over time right. and reinforcing the kind of culture you want. Right. Yeah. You know, um, as we were, as, as we've been talking, I was thinking about, uh, like, great storytellers, and I was thinking Wade Davis comes to mind, who I think is probably, from my point of view, one of the great storytellers of all time. And I can't remember the specifics of any story right off the top of my head. If I thought about it, I might. But I know that his, Wade Davis is a cultural anthropologist. He, um, he's the National Geographic uh, Explorer in Residence. Wouldn't you love to have that on your, your, <laughs> your uh, business card? Um, so I think we could put that on your business card. You, you could think? be the future works explorer in residence if you'd oh, like to be. God, wow, what a title! Um, <laughs> Please feel free next time we get <laughs> okay. I'll remember that. Um, but you know, he travels all over the world, and he he looks at vanishing cultures and vanishing languages. And um, it's been a long time since I've I've heard him or read his stuff, but but I know that. Part of what makes him such a good storyteller is the respect that he conveys for these cultures and ways of being in the world that are different than his. Um, that, that he learns every time he visits these different groups of people that there is some worth some inherent worth in their way of being in the world, something that has allowed them to survive and flourish, and flourish yeah. at least for a time, and then maybe the conditions around them change so much mm -hmm. that they can no longer do that. But, but his love, his respect for, for these different ways of being just always comes through in the way he tells his stories. And what, um, I guess maybe the lesson in that is that um, when storytelling is negative, which it yes. can be, yes. it, it very quickly, um, you know, becomes a weapon, yeah. becomes um, something that demeans. Um, and when it's respectful, yeah. um, it, it, it has, a di obviously, it has a different kind of, um, of value. Right. But, but in organizations, people tell both kinds of stories. Yes. They tell... Good stories, they tell negative, and they tell negative stories. And sometimes the negative stories um, kind of travel like wildfire. Yeah. And so um, when leaders sense that there's a negative story happening, um, I, I'm thinking back to years ago when um, Johnson's, um, was Johnson's, right? The, the aspirin. 
oh, scare yeah. or the Tylenol. Yeah. What was it? Aspirin, Tylenol. I can't remember. Uh, yeah. Bayer? But Bayer, Bayer. Yeah. But one somebody yeah, was one putting poison yeah. and um, in the Tylenol. In yeah. The, yeah, I think it was Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. And they were really smart about getting out in front of that mm -hmm. and saying that they weren't they were much more about about um, patient health and safety and at their own you know they weren't being required to do this, but they were. Pulled everything. They pulled off. everything off the shelves. It cost them. And people still tell that story. Exactly. Yeah. Because it conveyed. I mean, it was very smart PR. But but beyond that, it was it was saying we're about more than profit. Well, and, and Johnson we want and Johnson, customers for the long term. Right. Well, and Johnson and Johnson has an investment. In doing the right thing. Yeah. And as opposed to all the many other possible responses they could have given, some of which would have not made people happy. Right. They chose to do the right thing. Right. Um, and that they had a commitment to that. And it really demonstrated their commitment to that. Right. Yeah, so stories can be very powerful. And I think, but I, and you were alluding to something earlier that I think is important, and it's that it's not enough to just have a story to tell. It has to have relevance. It has to have meaning to you personally. You have to be able to tell the story sincerely, mm -hmm. um, with authenticity. With authenticity. Mm -hmm. I mean, we come back around to courage and authenticity over and over and over again in these mm -hmm. conversations mm -hmm. about leadership because that is key. No matter what other piece or technique you're using, if you can't do that, I mean, I have heard people tell stories that left me feel kind of cold too, mm -hmm. and or just sort of going, so what? And very often it was because the story didn't really have a point, or the person didn't know how to tell it, or you know, there it's it's not a panacea. And I, I just want to, as we bring wrap this up, this particular podcast, just want to say that, you know, it really isn't a panacea. And um, I was reflecting on a, I'll tell a little story here at the end, where um, when, uh, when my children were younger, much younger, our family went off to a, a summer family camp. And uh, it was quite a... a it was a fun event, and all of the families all slept in one big dormitory in bunk beds. Yeah. And every family had their own little two or three bunk beds, but all everybody was in the same big area, everybody sleeping in bunk beds, and so it was a really community kind of event. And With lots of snoring? Well, <laughs> before the snoring, there was, uh, people were kind of, had climbed into bed, they were calming uh. down. Um, people were getting ready to fall asleep and some folks started calling out little stories oh. or a little this or that. Then everybody could hear. And some of them caused laughter. Uh -huh. And then someone else would say something and there would be laughter. And then someone else would say something. And then one of my sons rang out... You know, in one of those unexpected silences, yeah. right, which he he really meant just for us, but ended up ringing out through the dormitory, said, 
are these the jokes, Dad? <laughs> Some of them were very bad jokes. But everybody was laughing anyway, yeah. right? Just at the silliness of it. Yeah. And and it's like, sometimes that can happen. You know, you can get into a round of storytelling and you're right. There are people who just might not get it or just not might not recognize yeah. what's yeah. going on. But as long as we're asking the questions, yeah. we can figure it out. It's funny. <laughs> These are the jokes, Dad. So um, how, what's your experience as someone who listens to these podcasts? What's your experience of storytelling in your organization? Uh, where has it been successful? Where has it not been successful? Where has it fallen flat? Where has it taken things in the direction opposite to maybe what the storyteller intended? How do you, as a leader, use storytelling in your own leadership practice? We'd really um, be interested in, in hearing about some of those things. So please use the comments on our blog to let us know about some of your stories and your storytelling experiences. Or email us, leadershippodcast at gmail.com. This has been Episode 1 of Season 2 partnerships and possibilities a podcast on leadership thanks for listening